Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Season's greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am JP Motor. And we're here to celebrate the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them great, why we think they're <laughs> awesome, and why you should too. JP, how you doing today, man? Man, I am doing fantastic. So this is a landmark episode for yeah. us. Yeah. Episode 200. Yes. And y'all know when we do these landmark episodes, these are geared towards us. That's these right. are episodes for us, by us, yes. with the people that we know and love. Number 50, we had Phil Grande, yes. guitar Joe monster Cocker band. Joe Cocker, uh, When the Night Comes, one of our favorite guitar solos <sighs> ever. Number 100, Dave Barnes. The first time on was a Valentine's Day episode. That was 100 episodes ago. Uh, that was 100 episodes ago. Who knew, who knew that we would become such great friends on that one? One, number, that was awesome. number 100. 150, we went way too much of a deep dive on King's X with Doug Pinnock. Yeah. Where we covered all things that you would ever want to know. That episode about was like six hours it was long. Like a, it was like a freaking Lord of the Rings everything. <laughs> so, uh, number 200, we knew we wanted to go guitar legend. Oh, yeah. but oh, did we ever land one. Yeah. Today, we're discussing the ultimate jam band song with the ultimate jam band guitarist. Yes. Legend Warren Haynes. Come oh on. my goodness. Warren Haynes. And I can't believe we just said that. Rob, tell him what song we're talking about and kick it to a little. Let's talk about maybe the favorite song of the universe that Warren Haynes ever wrote. Yeah. This is the one that everybody knows. You're born at birth knowing oh, that's this song. Right, that's right. We're going to talk about Soul Shine. Um, and it's been covered. There's versions by Government Mule. Allman Brothers, Brothers, tons of others. Uh, we're going to focus on the Government Mule version because we're going to do an Allman Brothers episode later. Absolutely. Of course, we're going to talk some Allman with Warren uh, later on, but... Uh, this is geared this. more towards Government Mule than Almond Brothers. That's right, yes. And so we are. We also need to put forth a disclaimer here. We've never done this before. We run a family-friendly ship here, uh, and we always you know, bleep out everything. But there is a, a swear word in the chorus that we're going to let pass through this first time. Un- unfiltered because it is it is just such a part of the song it felt wrong to like bleep it you we know kept what I mean? edit- when we listened through it with it edited out it's it's just the, the flip anyway it's not the same we it's- don't agree with the word <laughs> but we're not swearers that's right but we, and and we want everybody to be able to listen to the show so we're saying that in case you've got little ears in the car and, and you, you want to jump yeah around that's right so we're not going to bleep it this first time if it comes up again we'll bleep it but at least we're going to let it play through this one time and uh next week though it's going to be we're covering the chronic from <laughs> from front to back this is the start that's this right. is the landslide and we're just i'm going to read the wolf of wall street yeah uh, I'm just, just gonna, the script just the script i'm yeah. just going to come in and read all the language yeah that's right this is the this is the small rock that starts the landslide that's right. um so yeah next week will be fully explicit and uh yeah it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be almost no. Episode all right. 300. That's all right. <laughs> that's right. By episode 300, we're just full-blown explicit. Right. All right. So this is Soul Shine by Government Mule. 
Come on. <laughs> of all the like fatherly advice songs in the world, this is top tier. That's, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's good. just that's like, good. yeah, man, let your freaking soul shine, you know? <laughs> right. Like there's there's a certain category of songs that's like somebody putting their arm around your shoulder and being like, listen, bud. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this is absolute top tier of those type of songs, right. you know? It's good. Um, it just, the, 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 Feels of this song and the feel of this song are absolutely spot on. Yeah. So that is Soul Shine by Government Mule slash the Allman Brothers slash lots of other people. Uh, but all your favorite jam bands have done this song. Written by Warren Haynes. This is from the uh, the the Allman Brothers Band album Where It All Begins in 1994 and the 2001 Government Mule album The Deep End Volume 1. Uh, as I said, written by our guest today, Mr. Warren Haynes. Let's eliminate a couple of sources of confusion real quick. First, the proper spelling of soul shine is one word, no spaces. The David Allen Coe version from 1997, uh, which Warren also played on, is actually listed as two words, soul, space, shine. But the mule and almond versions are both one word, so that's how we're going to call it. Second of all, it is not to be confused with soul glow from coming to America. Although, let's be real, it wouldn't be super hard to do like a mashup or medley of the two, right? That could happen without a ton of work. Okay, uh, let's let's start with a few listening notes, maybe on Soulshine. First, we've got the great electric piano intro. It gives it kind of a gospelish feel, and it starts out kind of you know out of time. It's just it's 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 rhythmic, but it's not really in the groove. Then it kicks in fully, you know, in the groove, establishing time. Um, the feel is swung sixteenth notes at a slow uh, sixty three beats a minute. Uh, the Almond Brothers version is a little faster, but this one's c- clocking in about 63 beats a minute. Um, and what I say by what I mean by swing 16th is so if you've got just the pulse of the song, it's like one, two, three, four, right? Mm-hmm. Kick, snare, kick, snare. Then you've got eighth notes would be the next way to break it down division wise, which would be one and two and three and four. And right. There's eight of those in every measure. And then 
you've got 16th notes, and in a non-swing song, those are all evenly spaced. One and, and uh, see, one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a. But this is swung so that it's like we've talked. I think about before. It would be like if it was a triplet, 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 triplet. You would take the pull out of each triplet, the middle part, and you go triplet, 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 triplet. That's a swing sixteenth. Okay, so it's going. Instead of one E and a two E and a three E and a four E, it's one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and. That's what you call that. That's a swing 16th note feel uh, for all the music majors out there. Progre- uh, progression's pretty easy too. It is one five four one. Yep. it's it's easy. So. Um, but it but it does at, alternate at the last line, right? Yep. So yeah, yep. so it goes. Uh, the last time it goes to a six minor and then to a flat, flat seven. seven. Yeah. So um, that's a nice little. It keeps the song moving along without it getting boring. Yeah. But you hardly notice the changes yep. even there. It's good. It's yep. you know uh-huh. really interesting. Uh, it's one of those single and it's in B flat for you guys. That there you go. Know, so there you go. There. Yeah, um, so that walk up then would be G minor, A, a flat, flat major, yeah, B flat. B flat yeah, yeah. Uh, it's one of those sing along choruses that you just somehow always always knew. Uh, like I, I wasn't even an Almond Brothers fan as a kid, but somehow you just know this chorus. Yeah, I don't know wh- good. how. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I feel like I knew this song. Before, Before it, it was existed. Written. Yeah, I know. Right? How? That's so funny. It feels older. This song yes. feels like it was written in 1970. Yes. And it's, it didn't come out to the 90s. Yeah. At, that, that's, I've thought that exact same thing. That's so crazy it, that you said that. Like, Why is that? Maybe because it was on an Allman Brothers album, and the Allman Brothers are 70s is kind of what I've thought mm. about. And all the Allman Brothers stuff, you just kind of know. Yeah. You know, you know everything. You know Melissa. You know Jessica. You know Whip and Post. You know yeah. Ramblin' Man. All of it. Yeah. You know, and it, this just kind of feels like one of them so you know but i get it it's so it's the weirdest thing i was like i honestly thought like i i exactly understand everything you were saying (laughs) it's so weird it feels like it feels like lean on me and soul shine came out at the exact same time (laughs) you know what i mean it's like and and both are on the mount rushmore of arm around your shoulder pick me up songs yeah if if soul shine didn't have the d word you could we would sing it at church camp right (laughs) You know, we'd sit around the fire. Yeah. And, and we'd, and we'd, yeah. It's the end of church camp. It's it. <laughs> you could definitely close out a service with this. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I know. Right? It's like one of those that you could play this progression in church and get some business done. Right. I know. Like right. this, you could play, that would be a great list to compile. That is good. I know we have a few listeners out there who, who fit very specifically in a category with us <laughs> of like people who love certain types of music, grew up in the church, and have some musical knowledge who could help us compile a list of like the ultimate just chord progressions that you could play during like and i'm going to use a term that it, it, some people are not going to understand an altar service yeah when people are getting <laughs> prayer in, in specific <laughs> kinds of churches right you could play soul shine you could play purple rain yeah. like there's just hey certain, jude hey, <laughs> yeah uh that you could just really play these progressions and yeah. they would be completely at home in a yeah. in a like a pentecostal church yeah, service i know and nobody would go that sounds like it might have been a secular song or something. You know what I mean? People just go, yeah, brother, play, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, know. Like, yes, this definitely would belong on that. It's a jam band song. It's a jam we band. We grew up in Pentecostal churches where, like, you, we don't know when service is over. That's right. You just go in and you go, you know, take some <laughs> peanut butter crackers. If you're diabetic, you know what I mean? Hold on. <laughs> Best of luck. And service is just kind of over when it's yeah, over. You, right. People might say and pray for an hour uh-huh. or whatever. Uh, and so you just got to have music on tap for that, bro. That's you right. can't just. So you need. 
need some jam band tunes That's to right. get you through that. A progression that you can play for 45 and, minutes if you need and to. And I think the Wurlitzer slash organ makes it just feel a little bit more churchy. It does. Yeah, that B3 coming in yeah. right before the groove kicks in, uh, it, it really does. It gives it that, like, it, ha- it has a like a spiritual feel yes. to it. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, that's so funny. Okay. Reverend Warren Haynes. So that's right. That's right. Um, help us y'all help us compile that list of <laughs> the, the songs you could get away with playing in church as long as you don't sing them. That's right. right. That's right. Maybe Rob will do a vlog on that. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Uh, let's see. Um, it became an immediate live favorite for Almond Brothers fans. Um, even though it was never released as a single, it's just eternally jammable. It's so easy to listen to. You know, it could easily go 10, 12 minutes live and you'd never bat an eye. Yeah. It's just, you just want it to keep going. Mm-hmm. It's almost um, entrancing in yeah. a certain way. You just, one of those songs that you can get totally lost in, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and just have so much fun as a player, you know, um, and, and as a band, just letting things go. The first recorded version was actually by neither Government Mule nor the Allman Brothers, but by blues artist Larry McRae on his 1993 album, Delta Hurricane. It feels exactly like the version you know and love, uh, even with the same lead line at the beginning. McRae's vocal delivery is just a little more loose, like he's a little more behind the beat, mm-hmm. and he's doing the thing where you kind of let the let the background vocals carry the chorus and he's kind of singing lines in between, you know what I mean? Or singing just very, very, very late, more, more relaxed vocal delivery. Otherwise it's essentially, you know, the same, um, all the way. Let's talk a little bit about government mule. Absolutely. Um, and then we can meet, meet the band. Um, and that is government. That's G O V apostrophe T. Right, it's not the word government. It's the uh, abbreviated G O V apostrophe T. Govt Mule is how it looks. Formed in 1994 as an offshoot of the Allman Brothers Band by Warren Haynes and then Allman Brothers bassist Alan Woody. They have put out uh, I don't know a dozen or so studio albums uh, plus live albums and EPs. They are listed as one of Rolling Stone's best jam bands of all time. And Rolling Stone says of Warren, "This is great." Quote. If they ever get around to making a jam band Hall of Fame, Warren Haynes really deserves his own wing. The guitarist not only stepped into Dwayne Allman's Allman Brothers role in 1989, but in 2004, he essentially took on the Jerry role in The Dead. That's Jerry Garcia, Grateful Dead. For a few incredible years, he divided his time between both acts, and in spare moments, he has toured and recorded with Government Mule. The group merges many of the best aspects of the Dead and the Allman Brothers, and they only seem to get better every year. That's from the 2015 Rolling Stone Reader's List of the 10 best jam bands, of which Government Mule came in at number seven. That's awesome. Would you like to hear that? Yeah, I'd love to hear the list. Number 10. I don't know this band, and I'm sure jam fans are going to hate me for it. Mo? Mm -hmm. You know Mo? It's M-O-E, period. They have a period in the name. Uh, Mo, I don't know, but I'm going to have to check them out for sure. Let's see. Number nine. Uh, oh, my gosh. Rolling Stone lists on the internet suck, slow. by the way. Oh, so dude. slow. Yeah. Do better, Rolling Stone. Number nine, Pink Floyd. Okay. Kind of controversial. Like, do you think of Pink Floyd as a jam band? I think they jam, but I don't call them a jam band. That's a great way to say it. But they are number nine on this on this uh, reader-generated list. Number eight, Umphreys McGee. You know them? I, they're not quite on my radar. Number seven, Government Mule, as discussed. Number six, Widespread Panic. All right, so now if given those, you had to put yeah, together the top, five, in the top five. Who ever? Who, um, who? Oh, Creamfish, 
Both okay. have to be in there, right? Let me run down the top five. Number five is Dave Matthews Band. Okay, Dave, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Dave Matthews Band. Number four is Cream. Number three is Fish. Number two is the Allman Brothers, and that leaves number one, the jam band of all jam bands, the Grateful Dead. Grateful Dead, right? Yeah. I mean, they're the sort of the uh, the template mm-hmm. for jam band, you know, by which others are are all imprinted. Uh, for some real jammy fun with Government Mule, uh, check out their live stuff, of course, right? Even it, there's even a difference in in studio you know, stuff versus just when you get live in front of a crowd and get that energy going, it just takes on a different thing. Um, For some real sort of melding of that list, uh, if you want a really trippy experience, check out the 2014 album by Government Mule called Dark Side of the Mule, which is a full live album of Pink Floyd covers. Um, And then the deluxe edition has some Government Mule stuff on it too, but it's just Pink Floyd covers live. It's a lot of fun. And very, very, they didn't just like go, oh, hey, let's cover whatever. I mean, it is meticulous. It is lovingly crafted Pink Floyd covers by Government Mule. You, you should check That's it out. Awesome. It's very cool. Uh, okay, we'll talk about the album in a second, but first, let's meet Government let's Mule. Let's meet him, okay. Hey, let's meet the man. It's time to meet the man. Hey, mama, let's meet the man. Let's all meet the Guys, we're going to meet the band of Government Mule that played on this track. So, versus discussing Dickie Betts and Greg Allman, we're going to go Government Mule. There we go. Um, on guitar, we'll start with this guy, one of my favorites, Tim Reynolds. Uh, probably most notable is playing with Dave Matthews Band, not as an official member, but a recurring common side man. Yeah. Been with Dave for years. I've seen two Dave and Tim shows, tours. Such a great sound, such a great side man. Uh, the, I, the Live nineteen ninety nine. A Live at Luther College album is one of my favorite of the Dave albums uh, and one of my favorite, actually, albums overall. Um, the other guitar player, yes, there's three guitar players, yeah. on him because why not? Um, and vocals, Little Milton. Dude, I love <laughs> this guy. One of my favorite blues songs I've ever discovered was on this album called The History of the Blues I had when I was first getting into blues. Okay. Me and Rob played in a blues band in college, and so I went as deep blues as I could, yeah. you know, not growing up in the blues, if right. that makes sense. So I started my blues affection later in life if you yeah. would like trying to go deep we yeah. don't really have blues backgrounds yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> um grits ain't groceries do you know that song oh yeah play grits ain't groceries uh, this is little milton um this guy's in the blues hall of fame discovered ike and tina turner um mm-hmm. i love his story All right. Anyway, it's good stuff. More con- more controversial statement than it used to have been. That's right. Um, on Wurlitzer, Chuck Level. My goodness, we hear some Wurlitzer right when you're first getting in. Yeah. Um, he does all the all the Wurlitzer stuff, uh, and we're getting. But he um, he worked uh, with everyone as well. Clapton, Mayer, Almond Brothers, both as a player and a producer. He co-founded I Rock U, uh, which is a blues piano educational website. It's pretty cool. Cool. I looked it up. It's really neat. Um, I wasn't familiar with it till I started doing some deep chuck uh, research, and it's good. On bass, Willie Weeks, uh, one of many bass players on this Government Mule project. Yeah, we're going to talk um, about that in a second. My favorite quote about him, George Harrison said he would rather have Weeks play bass with him than Paul McCartney. Wow. So how about that for heavy? Okay. Um, guy played on everything from Stevie Wonder's 
Inner Visions album, not to be confused <laughs> with Inversions, yeah. uh, to Aretha, to Rod Stewart. That was a deep cut right there. Yeah, that's a deep wow. cut for you season winners. Um, to Aretha, to Rod Stewart, Vince Gill, list goes on. Willie Weeks, legend. Um, Matt Epst, uh, co-founded Government Mule with Warren, uh, played in the Dickie Betts band for a while. Uh, and his other project is called Blue Floyd, where they play blues arrangements of Pink Floyd tunes. Um, money shine on your crazy diamonds, other stuff. It's really cool. So yeah, it's uh, it's neat. The Pink Floyd tie-ins. I guess that's. I guess they are a jam band. Yeah, if I mean, all these jam band people are putting them together. I, I think that basically the the um, the thing about Pink Floyd as jam band is that earlier in their career, um, in the Sid Vicious years and those, you know, um, they Sid Vicious, right? Sid Sid years. Barrett. Barrett. Thank you. Sid, Sid Vicious. Vicious Sex is, Pistols. I think. Yeah, you're right. Earlier, I think earlier in their careers, in the Sid Barrett years, maybe they were pr- prone to like jam. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now they're like they they do like the lengthened songs and those, and it's a very jammy atmosphere, but it's not as actually fluid as it. But it, apparently, early it used to be. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this album, The Deep End Volume One. You sort of talked about what became the impetus for the album. Um, this, first of all, it was the first album of Government Mules to hit the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart. It went to number 128 in that regard in 2001. The most successful album, at least in that regard, would be 2013's Shout, which went to number 32 on the Top 200 and number 11 on the Rock Albums chart, respectively. Um Co-founder and bassist Alan Woody died in September 2000, and the next project ended up being The Deep End Volume 1. And those sessions were documented by filmmaker and fellow bassist Mike Gordon as the band recorded the album with a bunch of awesome bassists like Larry Graham of Sly and the Family Stone, John Entwistle from The Who, even Flea. The documentary opens up with the studio stra- with the studio tracking of Soulshine. Mm-hmm. So the first thing you hear in the documentary is this electric piano part and leading into the and they they actually show quite a bit of Soulshine um, being tracked. But listen to this list of bases that end up contributing. This is just a few: Bootsy Collins, Chris Squire, Jack Bruce of Cream, Les Claypool of Primus, Michelle and Degiocello, Phil Lesh of the Grateful Dead, Tony Levin. Goodness it's like gracious. it's literally like twenty five of the greatest bases awesome. on earth. Yeah. all came together um, to not even try and fill the shoes, but to pay tribute mm-hmm. to Alan Woody, um, who was so influential on, you know, so many of them and That's so awesome. respected as a bass player. So, um, it, it very sort of, um, bass player centric compilation, this album, you know what I mean? Which you don't often get. It's not like you get, you know what I mean? People aren't yeah. flocking to be like, dude, I got this tribute to a bass player. Yeah. You know? I know. Right. That's good. So, really interesting. Uh, deep in volume one was followed up with deep in volume two, the following year. And in 2003, The Deepest End, live in concert, <laughs> which is certified gold by the RIAA. The band's most recent release is 2021's Heavy Load Blues, which is really solid. Go oh. check it out. Um, and we're going to talk to Warren about it. Um, okay. I have a little bit more on Warren Haynes, but I think maybe it's time. You've promised me okay. a, a, meet, a, a, a Stump the Genius to remember, so yeah, I'm ready for let's it. Do it. Let's go ahead and Stump the Genius. Stump the Genius. Stump the Genius. Genius, it's time to stump the genius. Let's jump up and take your part. I take your part. Hey, oh. let's stump the genius. <laughs> hey, let's stump the genius. <laughs> All right, guys. So 
last week we covered Black Horse and the Cherry Tree yeah. by Katie Tunstall. And we had all kinds of horse stuff. We did horse trivia. <laughs> you were so full of horse we stuff. We were so full of horse stuff. I am in this, I'm in this horse mule thing going. So <laughs> we're going to go movies about horses. Okay. Okay, so Stuff the Genius this week is movies about horses. Okay. All of these wow. movies are about horses. They all won major awards. Okay. Are there any they, actual mules? They all star, star legends. And I'm betting you're not going to get any of them. Wow. I'm going to tell you who's in it and the premise. And, I mean, you could guess Seabiscuit okay. every time, but you'll get zero. Okay. Because Seabiscuit's not wow. in it. And Y'all, you could guess, JP just started doing horse research. That's and right. he just got and a hold I got, of his soul. I, got, I went crazy. I was like, mules, horses, let's go. <laughs> um, and you could guess Black Beauty, too. But we Four-legged talked about, beasts yeah, of burden. It's not happening. No, neither will Secretariat. Okay, here we go. Number one. All right. Critics' Choice Award for the Best Family Movie in 2005. Stars Kurt Russell and Dakota Fanning. Kurt is a horse trainer who neglects his family and spends all his time in horse and training horses. Oh wow! You're not going to get. I'm any. just going to try and make up a name. Do it. Okay. All right. So he's a horse trainer. Horse trainer. Kurt um, Russell. Critics Choice Award Best Family Movie 2005. I'm going to say Home Training. It's called Dreamer. I'm okay. going to give myself a point. <laughs> okay. This one won two Oscars and nominated for three others. Wow. It stars Elizabeth Taylor, Mickey Rooney, Angela Lansbury, and arguably the best movie ever about horses. About horses. It's in the National Film Library by the Library of Congress. Jeez. 12-year-old girl, Elizabeth Taylor, wins this horse in a raffle and trains him for steeplechase. Wow. So it's starring a teenage Liz Taylor. 12-year-old Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, Let's call it. (laughs) <laughs> Let's see. Twelve-year-old Liz Taylor inherits a horse and trains him for two Oscars. Nominated two for Oscars. Let's go. Um, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Um, glistening sunrise. <laughs> National velvet. Okay. Point hey, for look, me. I feel like I got pretty close. You were in the like, game. S- spiritually, I feel like I was close. Number three won the Spur Award uh, for Spur Awards for the best Western drama script okay. in 2004. I was like, is that a movie about horses? Stars, stars Viggo I mean, Mortensen. Okay. And his Mustang, who plays Frank Hopkins. He and his Mustang are part of Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. Okay. You know this one. The Ego Mortensen riding a horse, not as part of Lord of the Rings. Read me the description again. Okay. It stars Vigo Morganson and his Mustang. He yeah. plays Frank Hopkins. Okay. He's a Mustang. He and his Mustang are part of Buffalo Bill's Wild West sideshow okay. or Wild West show. Was his horse named Sally? No. Okay. I don't um, know. It could have been. Uh, I don't let's, think so. uh, let's go. Um, I'm gonna call, I'm gonna call it. Let's call it Sand Prince. Hidalgo. Hidalgo. Three oh, points actually, for me. Okay, I should have got one. that one. Hidalgo. Yeah. Animated DreamWorks film won all kinds of awards. Spirit. Mother of Pearl. Yes! I didn't even have to get through it. Wah, 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 got one. Point for Rob. Well, I don't know why I knew that. I've that's never seen amazing. It. You want to hear the rest of the description? Yeah. Or do you even care? Absolutely. Uh, my favorite is ASCAP Film and Television more uh, top box office. Uh, I love the big hit from the movie. It's music uh, that has the Brian Adams song. Here I am. Okay. Play, play Here I Am by okay. Brian Adams. It's a good song. You might know this while I'm reading. Also won the Western Heritage Movie Award. Stars Matt Damon. One of the horses in the film is Rain and was the first to be awarded the certificate from American Paint Horse Association. Okay. You know this song? Brian Adams song? So it gets big. Does it? Yeah, skip ahead to the bigness. Well, it's got a little more backbeat. Yeah. But anyway, you know this song? Uh-uh. Here we are, still going strong, right here 
love this melody. Wow. So. This is what so, year? Uh, two, I didn't write it down. I don't know. It's freaking, that's like John Parr writing. This is, this is what they did. I'll tell you what they did with this spirit movie. Somebody saw Tarzan uh-huh. and the Phil Collins soundtrack, yeah, uh, right? Uh-huh. And, and they you'll were like, be in my heart. They're like, Brian Adams, can you just do that? Like, yeah. can you just do the, can you Phil Collins, the soundtrack that's for right. us? That's, Guarantee you that's that what happened. Good. Anyway, that's, that makes sense. Anyway, man, Rob with a point. I wanted, yeah. to, go, I wanted to go. Spirit. I'll give you that though. Number five, 1998 film based on the 1995 novel stars Robert Redford, Scarlett Johansson, Kate Bosworth. Robert as Tom Booker helps Scarlett and her injured horse get back into action after a tragic accident. Oh, dang. If you would have said, name one horse movie, this would have been my guess. This is the only okay. So I know the name of this one. More than Seabiscuit. Uh, yeah. more uh, Nominated but didn't win the Golden Globe or the Academy Award. Robert Redford. Robert Redford. Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson. Kate Bosworth. Kate Bosworth. If you just said, name one both horse of them movie. would have been little at that point. 98, um, right? Or yeah, young, you're pretty little, it, it like very young. Yeah, younger. Um, Gosh. <laughs> Younger than they right. are now. <laughs> right. Yes, obviously. Uh, I injured, recovering from injury, horse, Robert Redford. Let's go, um, let's go, let's let's say legend. Horse I'm, Whisperer. Oh, the horse. Oh, yeah, so wow. That's, that's okay. one that I actually. I should have actually. That's uh, yeah, funny. I wouldn't have gotten any of those. Okay, here's a. I bu- think I was just thinking of Poco. <laughs> right, that legend, the yeah. Poco album. That's awesome. The cover. Um, here's a bonus. This isn't part. My favorite. You never get. So I'll just tell you about it. You ever see Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken? That's the one I was hoping you were going to put on. Dude, there. We used I to think watch I could have got there. Dude, it's in the Great Depression. She gets kicked out of the home for fighting. Finds and steals her horse, Lightning, who had been sold off. Joins the traveling fair circus. This is just me writing this out. This is, <laughs> I, I can tell you about this movie all day. She wants to be a diving girl. She jumps on the horse yes. and she jumps off on the diving board into the pool of water. She's too young. She's just a stable girl. But the main girl gets injured, so she goes up there. Wow, does really well. One time she uses a different horse instead of lightning he's oh, real no. jittery Can't do some that. symbols crash she hits the water eyes open she goes blind then she figures out how to mount her horse blind dang oh freaking love that movie wow wild hearts can't be broken go watch it while listening to soul shine <laughs> all things will be be made made well with the world covers can okay. i talk about covers absolutely um beth hart has a cover mm. um Obviously, she's a piano player versus a car guitar player, so a little different feel. Um, her vibrato takes over the song, but you get it. It's Beth Hart, yeah. L.A. song lady. Uh, man, I got to get out of this town. Man, yeah. I got to get out. It's that girl. David Allen Coe. Yep. Which talked about something he did that was smart was to have Warren play guitar on it with him. Um, you hear it, yeah. and you're like, yep. And Warren came up in David Allen Coe's band. That was yep. one of his early, you know, his early things, so he did a – um, David Allen Coe sort of did a greatest hits live, I think, mm-hmm. in '97, and had Warren come back. A L- little out. faster, um, but basically the same song. Yeah, uh, with you know David Allen Coe's Baptist pastor voice singing it. This so. is one of those songs that like people don't cover it to do something new with it. Yeah, people oh, just exactly. cover it because they love it. Right? You know what I mean? They're like, oh, I want to sing that because it feels so good. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. You're not like here's my techno version of Soul Shine, house version of Soul Shine. Speak your Soul Shine. That's awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, okay, a little bit more on Warren Haynes, and then we're going to go talk to him some more about himself. Um, <laughs> he he did play in the David Allen Coe and Dickie Betts bands coming up. 
Um, David Allen Coe, for all who don't know, wrote the greatest country and western song of all time. And if you don't believe it, just ask him. It's called <laughs> You Never Even Call Me By My Name. Right. And I won't give it away, but you should check it out if you've never listened to it. It's just a great listen. Uh, Warren Haynes is one of the few artists out there who makes me want to play Gibson guitars. Uh-huh. He yeah. plays a 58 Les Paul reissue, which we'll talk to him about, I think. Uh, a Firebird, which I love, and an ES-335. Um, he talks about listening to the influences of his influences, yeah. like the importance of not only, and I've heard a few people say this, but and, it, and it's and it's really done me served me well. Like, don't just listen to the people that you love. Find out who they loved when yeah. they first started playing, and listen to those people, and it'll really give you a, a, a you know a, a broader um, you know range of of influences and respect for that That's earlier good. you know that earlier stuff. So, like, you know, he was listening to Hendrix and Clapton and Johnny Winter, and then those led him to like BB and Freddie King and Muddy Waters and, yeah. you know, guys like that, et cetera. Um, he also, this is my, my favorite random Warren Haynes piece of trivia. He co-wrote two of a kind working Work on, on a full, full house, house. That's right. with Dennis Robbins and Bobby Boyd, uh, which ended up on Garth Brooks's massive album, No Fences. That's my, I was like, what? Are you serious? Um, and so, yeah, that's the most random. I love it when finding out like, so and so co wrote, yeah. you know, that's just a great discovery. So. If I if I could change one thing in Warren's life about him, I wish he had a one syllable middle name that he threw in. Like Warren like, Lee Haynes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like Stevie Ray Vaughn. Yeah. Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Warren Cleet Haynes. Right. Or like, Cleet? I don't know. Not Cleet, but Lee. Yeah. Like the shoes you wear in soccer. <laughs> yeah. Cleats. I don't know. I, Lee makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Warren, yeah Lee's a great, like, yeah. blues player middle name. But yeah, it's, it's so great. You get, like, Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Yeah. A single, it's, it does need it, to be single, one right? One syllable. Because David Allen Coe sounds country. Work. Yeah. That doesn't that, sound like blues, exactly right? right? Exactly. If, if, if he was John Michael Montgomery, yeah. country. <gasps> David Allen Coe, This country. thing you've just stumbled on. Uh-huh. Single, okay, three names. It's single initial, I mean, a single, a single syllable middle, middle name is, is blues. blues. Yeah. Double is country. That that is quite a theory. I I need you guys listening to dig into that a little more. Warren, tell us what you think. Are we right? Yeah, dang. Send us a text. Like, good call. Oh, I can't. I can't wait to think more about that. That's. I don't know his middle name. I should have looked it up. I I don't either. I didn't did all this research and don't even know his middle name. Um, What if it is Lee? What if he just nailed it? He should have just gone. I don't want to do that. All these blues guys do that. I don't want to do that. Um, All right, we're gonna go talk to Warren, and we'll be back to tuck you in at the end. But first, need you to stop. What you're doing right now. Holy cow, this is episode 200. 200. Some of you listening have been with us since episode one, and for that, we applaud you. Um, and we thank you greatly. Um, if you are new to the show and you have not engaged with us online, man, do it. It's a lot of fun. Join the Facebook group. It's called Great Songs and the Great People Who Love Them Greatly. Or at the very least, uh, stop what you're doing right now and get on all the socials and follow us at Great Song Pod. Um, and if you just love the show, you want to be part of making it happen and you want to get some bonus goodies like extra releases, ad free, early bonus shows, random things that we like to send out from, uh, from, you know, this and that and the other thing, um, any, any way that we can do to find a say, thank you, we'll do it. Just go to patreoncom slash great song pod. That's P A T R E O N dot com slash great song pod and you can support the show there and help us to cover our costs and 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 uh do things to to help us improve the show and improve our process and uh man we'll be forever grateful and we'll give you everything that we can to to 
express our gratitude to you when you go to patreon.com slash great song pod. But however you are engaging with the show right now, however you're listening, however long you've been with us and in whatever level you choose to engage or not engage, we are grateful to be in your ears today and have to have done it for 200 episodes. I think is a real accomplishment yep. for a couple of guys who live really far away from each other. <laughs> uh, this podcast should not have worked. Not at all. It should not have lasted this long <laughs> and uh, it definitely should not have become what it has become. Every episode that we have released here though we have recorded in the same room yeah we we will not do the virtual thing when it comes to laying these down guys we are, we are we are making it happen and for those of y'all that don't know we live over three about three hours away from yeah. each other so we love being together and we love chatting with these people that's right and we love chatting with you but let's be honest this podcast is an intrusion into our lives it, like you know <laughs> what i'm saying like it's a it's a it's a hobby but it requires something it's, of it's us. a hobby with effort yeah it's a hobby and, and it's th- that we're it. glad to put the effort in every bit because the because the reward of being able to hang out with each other yes. and now getting to talk to some of our musical heroes and getting to get to know you guys the the great song podcast community it's just been so <laughs> worth it you know so so y'all uh, y'all send us a shell gift card I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Gas ain't cheap. Uh, yeah, but here's to another 200 episodes, dude. We'll dude. do it. I'll see you at let's, 400. Let's, let's, do, go, let's go do that's it. That's right. Um, all right. When we're, what is it, 300, we're going explicit. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yes. Just kidding. Family friendly from here on out, guys. All right, that's it. Uh, let's go talk to Warren Haynes, and we'll be back to tuck you in at the end. This is the Great Song Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we are here with guitar legend, blues rock, southern rock, swampy, awesome rock <laughs> legend, Warren Haynes is on the program today. I can't believe we got to say that. That was awesome. Man, Warren, thank you so much for joining us today on the Great Song Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. Man, I can't believe we get to do this. Um, so let's let's start with with this. Uh, I want to talk a, bit, a little bit about the what I see is kind of the workhorse nature of Government Mule. Uh, not to not to mix metaphors with there. horses and mules, yeah. But uh, you guys are um, you know such a workhorse band, twenty plus albums, constant touring, and you you know you leave it out on the stage every night. Is that a source of pride for you? Is that kind of uh, a uh, you know, a missional thing for you guys? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, we're just kind of continuing on, uh, the path that people we grew up loving and what they did and what they contributed in, uh, some of our heroes work ethics and, and stuff, but, uh, probably even more important is the fact that it's what we love to do. So, you know, I always say half jokingly that the other 21 hours of the day are what we're getting paid for. It's okay. the three hours on stage that uh, is the payoff, you know. Uh, we're, we're there to play and, yeah. you know, traveling and and staying in hotels and being away from your family and uh, eating crappy food in the middle of the night. Uh, you're getting paid for that. <laughs> right. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Um so I want to talk about, you know, you, your the atmosphere at a government mule show or an Almond Brothers show um, or even a, a dead show, especially is a very, um, you know, I don't know if you love the word jam or not, but it's a very improvisational sort of, um, you know, they're f- sort of free spirited moments, let's say, uh, where things just kind of, you know, take whatever direction they take when you are um, playing with somebody new. 
what are some of the important things that make you know that somebody is going to work in that context or, or what are some red flags that you might hear when you're playing with somebody that you go, I'm not sure this kind of style is going to be the thing for you. Well, it's a, it's kind of a conversational approach to music. Uh, so when you are playing music with someone and you throw something out there and see how they respond, uh, which could be any of a multitude of different ways, that kind of uh, gives you an, an indication of uh, where the conversation is going to go. Um, you know, as an example, like the, when when I met Danny Lewis, our keyboard player, the first time we ever played together was just the two of us, him playing a, a keyboard and myself playing guitar, and we would just bounce ideas back and forth. And that wound up being his audition. I was looking for a keyboard player for the, what at that time was the Warren Haynes band in the early nineties. And just the way he responded to what I played made me know that, yeah, this, this will work, you know? Yeah. Um, and if you take that to the nth degree, uh, a, a band like the Miles Davis quintet, which is my favorite band of all times with Herbie Hancock and Tony Williams and Ron Carter and Wayne Shorter, when those guys played music, which I don't even think you could call it jazz because it, it kind of defied uh, categorization, but when they played music, one person would play something, somebody else would respond, somebody else would respond to that, and the whole foundation of the music was built on that. And so in that way, chemistry is the most important thing of all. Yeah. is is uh, I'm curious, is offstage chemistry equally important, or can you... Can you have these kind of experiences with guys that you don't necessarily get along with so much off stage? Well, you know, that's a good question. Yes, you can have that kind of chemistry with someone uh, that you don't necessarily get along with. And, and there have been a lot of great bands that have gone through that challenge. Sure. Um, but it obviously makes it easier to be in a traveling, living together, close quarters kind of situation with someone you don't want to kill on a daily basis. <laughs> sure. uh, That's great. Yeah, we. Uh, I heard that, you know, growing up, Hendrix and Clapton and Johnny Winter were kind of your icons. Who's a modern guitar player that you really like? We've, we're guessing you're going to throw Derek Truck's name in the mix, but who's a modern guitar player that you're really, really digging on these days? Well, first off, the, the three you mentioned, those, those were my first three. Okay. Clapton, Hendrix, Johnny Winter were the first three people that I discovered and, and just went full more crazy over, you know, uh, after that, every, you know, I discovered so many other people shortly afterward, but the first three people that you discover or the, uh, or make such a, a big impact, sure. you know, uh, but I, I love Jeff Beck and, and, uh, BB King and Freddie King and Albert King. And, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Shortly afterward, became a huge Allman Brothers fan and loved what Dwayne Allman and Dickie Betts were doing. But I, I loved so many different types of stuff. You know, I loved Steve Howe from Yes, who was a completely different player than the other people that I mentioned, but equally unique and, and passionate. Uh, yeah, as far as a modern player, I, you know, Derek is is one of my favorites for sure, but I don't really consider him modern anymore because i've known him since he was 11 yeah. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> you know but derek is a fantastic player and, and a, a great friend and we've played together hundreds and hundreds of times and, and i think he's a, 
one of the best musicians out there. I got it. Since you mentioned about playing with him, I got to talk about. It's not every day we get to talk with somebody that's played the White House. So you played uh, with Derek <laughs> and Susan there. You did. I'd rather go blind the Etta James tune or Etta James tune for Obama. What's it like playing the White House? It was amazing. You know, uh, for so for so many reasons. I mean. B.B. King, Buddy Guy, Jeff Beck, uh, Mick Jagger, Derek and myself and Susan, uh, all these these people that we grew up listening to, uh, that we were there with, along with people like Gary Clark Jr. and uh, Shamika Copeland. Um, the mu- Musically, it was fantastic. It was a huge honor to be there. Uh, and of course, the Allman Brothers and the Dead were both big Obama supporters. Um, and being there for that moment where uh, Buddy Guy handed Obama his microphone and he started singing, and <laughs> people have asked me, was that scripted? Absolutely not. That's awesome. Uh, I, I was standing three feet away. Uh, that happened uh, as... Uh, uh, momentary kismet as possible. You know, it was like, I, I saw the eye exchange and I saw president Obama thinking, am I really going to do this? <laughs> uh, uh, and it was just, it was just fantastic watching all the rehearsals. You know, uh, there was a rehearsal of Jeff Beck and Mick Jagger doing the Howlin' Wolf song. Uh, uh, she mixed my drink. What is that song? Uh, um, commit a crime yeah, yeah, yeah. and they did it during the show and it was great, but it wasn't as great as the rehearsal. The rehearsal was just amazing. And, and standing there 20 feet away, watching that in the white house was, was pretty fantastic. Uh, and I was also running on very little sleep because I had flown, uh, Denver to DC, DC to LA, LA to DC in like three days. Holy cow. Uh, just to to make it, you know, like my schedule was was really nuts for that time period. But I said, well, there's no way I'm going to miss it. I'll just have to be exhausted. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. That's a that's a can't miss. Uh, you make whatever concessions you have to make, and then <laughs> sleep later. Um, so I I want to talk a little bit about the the latest Government Mule album, Heavy Load Blues, uh, as more of a um, you know straight ahead blues album. Uh, obviously, you know, a lot of what you play and a lot of what you've done is, is sort of blues infused, but the, but this it strikes me as a, just a really kind of a straight ahead blues album. And I, I understand if I'm correct that you guys really kind of leaned into it with uh, vintage gear and sort of vintage recording methods, you know, we're kind of doing everything together in the studio. Is that, was that kind of the, um, kind of the plan for recording this album to make it sort of a more of a traditional feel? Yeah. Um, we wanted it to sound <clears throat> like it was recorded uh, decades ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, in order to do that, uh, which was inspiring to us from a performance standpoint, you know, we thought, well, we always prefer analog tape anyway, and we always prefer recording as live as possible. But uh, Heavy Load Blues was recorded completely live in a, in a small room where we weren't he- wearing headphones. We were just standing a few feet apart as if we were on a little tiny stage in a little blues club. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> the only difference was really that we were facing each other as, as opposed to facing an audience, sure. you know. Um, small lamps, uh, as I mentioned in one of the, the videos, uh, all the gear in that 
room uh, was older than me <laughs> and uh, it, it was problematic to do it that way because you never know when something might break down that's, you know, 70 years old or right. something. Um, but it was such a, a great experience doing it that way. And doing it with no headphones uh, allowed us to, to be even more intricate in that process that you brought up from the beginning of, of responding in a conversational way to what each other is playing. Uh, when you're that close together and playing really quietly, Matt was playing a really small drum kit and we were playing through small amplifiers and we were like a few feet apart. So we were playing much quieter than we normally would. And we could hear ourselves fantastic. And we were just mixing ourselves according to what we were hearing. Mm. Uh, and you can hear that in the recording. You know, that's what it sounds like because that's what was happening. That's pretty similar to – you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but isn't that how y'all kind of did where it all begins? Y'all were kind of all live on stage, um, the Allman Brothers Absolutely. versus the parts yeah, that were we did that. Uh, we did that in Jupiter, Florida. Uh, Burt Reynolds Ranch has a sound stage on it, and we rented it out and, and went in there and set up. Now, we were set up – in a much more rock and roll way with big amplifiers, big drum sure. kits. Uh, we even had a, a PA and lights and stuff, but we recorded uh, where it all begins live like that as well. We had a, a, a mobile truck, a recording truck that was parked outside and it was, the control room was too small for us all to listen back at the same time. So uh, for the most part, most of the band didn't even listen to the recordings as they went down. Uh, Tom Dowd, who was producing, would would call us up if there was something he wanted us to hear or something, you know, or we, we would play it out in, in the room. Um, but yeah, that, that's the way that record was done, too. And the first Mule record was done like that uh, as well. Well, you can feel the energy in that. I think that's a smart play. Um, I love All Night Train, which you wrote off that album. Got great, great Kickstarter with guitars everywhere. A uh, little tie-in to kind of how you were introduced into the Allman Brothers was the Seven Turns album in 1990. You carry the lead on Loaded Dice. Such a tasty song. But my biggest takeaway on that, you play a Strat on that, correct? Which is not, I did, yeah. not traditionally what I see Warren Hayes with. You know, I see you with the with the '58 Gibson or the Firebird or the Gibson ES335. How come the Strat on that one? Were you just trying to sound different than Dicky? Was what? Why did you pick the Strat for that one? Well, I had this red Stratocaster uh, for a few years, late '80s, early '90s, uh, that I played quite a bit. And I'm not normally a, a Strat guy. I love the way that guitar sounded and played. And when I was doing the Warren Haynes Band at that time. I intentionally wanted to go for a different sound than like a, a, an Alma Brothers sound. Um, not all the time, but probably 70% of the time back then, I played that Strat a lot. And so I wound up playing it on the first uh, couple of Alma Brothers records that we did together as well. And then it got stolen uh, a few years later, so I, I just never replaced it. Uh, but that was a really cool sounding guitar, and, and and it appeared all over the Seven Turns record. Oh, dude, yeah, I love it. It's it sounds wonderful. You can hear your uh, mullet and stash coming through the sound <laughs> of the guitar. It's wonderful. I saw, saw you play that live in '91. Uh, but now your choice of guitar is typically the '58 Gibson Les Paul. And Rob had a really neat tie-in question that I was gonna 
let him. Yeah, I was curious about your uh, the, the the custom fifty eight Les Paul reissue that is based on your uh, fifty eight uh, is is called by on the website and stuff and inspired by Warren Haynes model rather than like a Warren Haynes signature. And I was curious if you could uh, clue us into what is the difference, why the distinction there. Well, that guitar is actually uh, a 58 body and a 59 neck. Okay. Because uh, okay. um, I like the 59 necks better. It has a little um, bit bigger fret, right? The 59 frets a little bit bigger yes, than the 58? They do, and I, and I prefer that. <clears throat> and they also have, that guitar has a Burst Bucker 1 and Burst Bucker 2 in the pickup positions. And it has a, a Tone Pros bridge, which is different from uh, any other Gibson. And it uh, has this circuitry that was developed by uh, Peter Miller and John Cutler that did a lot of stuff for Jerry Garcia. That when you they they designed this uh, volume pot that when you turn it down, the tone doesn't change, mm. which is very different for a, a Gibson guitar. Uh, but I like the sound of the tone changing when you turn it down but i also liked the idea of having uh that option so i talked them into putting it in a switch that you could turn on and off and oh, that's, that's what cool. that switch is uh, on those guitars gotcha that's great how Love. does uh how does a gig with david allen co differ from a gig with dickie betts <laughs> uh well when i played in co's band i was a kid i was uh either still 19 or about to turn 20 when i joined his band and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I was <laughs> thrust into this world that I didn't even know existed. Um, but it, oddly enough, if you had asked that question, it was through playing with Co that I met Dickie Betts and Greg Allman, which eventually would would lead to me joining the Allman Brothers. Well, I first joined Dickie's band, mm -hmm. and then a few years later joined the Allman Brothers. So it was a uh, a gradual process, but that's that's how the whole thing came about. Gotcha. Uh, I want to ask a question about, and this is kind of a, a kind of a, a longer uh, two part question. It's going to be because of the conversation we just had with our with a, the previous guest. Um, so I I wanted to ask when uh, you're attacking a, a straight ahead blues album like Heavy Load Blues or even a, a song, um, and especially you know with with all that you've put out over the years, I'm sure you've got these songs that you play so many times. The temptation is to let's, let's tweak it. Let's do something different. You know, we, we've played it live so many times. It sort of takes on a different life. Um, I wanted to pick your brain about the balance between that kind of invention and the tradition of either, you know, the source material or what the audience expectation is. Um, and that's kind of part one of the question, but then we also literally just got off the phone with, uh, Corky Lang from mountain. Uh, and he told us a story of a few years ago at a new year's Eve show that you sort of challenged him on just that, 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 uh, I think you were planning on playing, uh, Mississippi queen and, um, and you said, that was the Nantucket. Uh, oh, um, yes. Um, and, um, oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Nantucket slayer. But, uh, that, that. 
you had a conversation with him about, you know, we would ask you to play it, but, but, and these are his words that you said, basically you've forgotten the song. You guys have messed with it to the point where it's no longer the same song. And if, <laughs> and, and, if <laughs> and he said that you basically said, if you'll go home and learn it, you can play it with us. Which is great. We love that. Yeah. And so I thought, what an interesting tie into this question that I already wanted to ask you about that balance between sort of tradition and invention. Well, that's, that sounds like Corky's interpretation of, of what was said. Uh, uh, I don't, it doesn't sound like something I would or did say, but maybe I said something similar to that. Um, you know, uh, I, rem- I remember, you know, because we were all big Mountain fans, and I played with Mountain uh, several times and, and appeared on one of their records and stuff. Um, th- that happens in bands where they change the song through the years, and it's way different. Uh, years down the road than the original version. And what I think you're referring to, I, I could be wrong, is some of those tunes, they changed them to the point that if we had had been playing the original version, then we wouldn't know how to play the version that they wound up with gotcha. 30, 30 years later. Yeah. You know, uh, and as an example, I went out to Long Island to play with Mountain one time and they did Mississippi Queen in a whole other key. Oh, and man. and uh, I was like, Leslie, what, why are you doing Mississippi Queen? And I think they were doing it in C, and the original was in E. Yeah. I, I think I'm right about that. I could be wrong. Um, and he's like, oh, for my voice, I can't sing that high anymore. I'm like, dude, you came and sat in with Government Mule when we played it in the original key, and you sang this out of it. <laughs> like, uh, but through the years, you know, singing it that high night after night after night after night, eh, maybe we might, might want to lower the key a little bit or something, sure. you know, and, and that that happens a lot. Uh, I had heard, a, a, I'm, I'm changing the subject here briefly, but I had heard a cool story about uh, McCartney, a conversation that Paul McCartney and Billy Joel were having uh, and about some... Beatles song from the old days that they were going to do or something. And, and Billy Joel said, uh, wh- what key do you do it in now? And Paul was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you don't still do it in the original key, do you? And he's like, sure, I do all the songs in the original That's key. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, and, you know, which is incredible, yeah. you know, to, to think about that. But uh, that uh, this far, now that was 10 years ago, but this far down the line, that he was still singing those songs in, in the original key is, is incredible. Yeah. So what, so where is that line for you? Do you guys ever go, you know, we, we you know, we owe it to this particular song to sort of stay faithful to the original arrangement or, um, you know, does that ever happen with, with you guys where you go, maybe we should, maybe we should bring the song back to its roots. Well, you know, that's a good question because I, I can joke about it and say, that fortunately or unfortunately, uh, depending on how you want to look at it, we've never had a song that was so big that people expect to hear it every night or expect to hear it played a certain way with, with mm-hmm. no variation. Okay. Um, but I, I can imagine, like, uh, uh, you know, when, if you go see the Eagles and they play Hotel California, then you want the guitar solo to be like it was on the radio in, in the seventies sure. because you paid all this money and I, that's what I want to hear. Right, yeah. <laughs> but you know, um, 
And, and as an example, in, in the Allman Brothers, uh, Ramblin' Man was the biggest hit the Allman Brothers ever had. And there, years went by that, that the band never played Ramblin' Man. Mm. And I know there were some, a small amount of fans that were disappointed, but it wasn't like like it would be if it was a pop band that didn't play their biggest hit. But because most Allman Brothers fans were there for the entire show, not yeah. for one song. Sure. Um, go ahead. No, I was going to say, well, you're the king of taking songs and making it your own. Yeah. Like, I was thinking about, you mentioned Freddie King, so me and Rob are huge fans of Woman Across the River. Yeah. So that's a, a, a definite, wonderful tweak um, yeah. on that. The playing with Dave on uh, Cortez the Killer, the Neil Young song, so I know you've done some collabs with him. Uh, so definitely uh, taking your, your chops and apply. How did, how did that collaboration sync up where you've done a lot of stuff with, with Dave? Matthews. Well, you know, I, I'll tell you that's an interesting story. My my relationship with those guys goes back to the the very beginning, um, when when nobody outside of, of Virginia knew who the Dave Matthews Band was. We had played together a, a few times in, on on stage and had a, a really good time, and had become friends. And it was always a, a good musical experience. And then fast forward, we had played together dozens of times by the time they did their uh, Central Park show. And they called me and, and said, we're doing this Central Park show. We'd love to have you as, as the guest. And again, it was one of those things where I was on the road. I'm like, but I got I had that day off. I'll just fly in and do that and then go back on tour, you know. Uh, there was no real time for rehearsal we had a, a short sound check and literally when we were on stage uh uh doing the sound check dave turned to me and said you do cortez right and i said yeah i've, I've been doing it uh, i've done it a few times and he said yeah I, i'd do it too what do you think about doing it together I said, yeah, that sounds cool let's do it and uh so we talked about who was going to sing which verses and we probably played it for about two minutes or something. And we said, yeah, that'll be cool. Let's do that. And so in front of 100,000 people, <laughs> we played that version yeah. for the first time. Wow. And wow. That, was, that, was, that was like a first date. That was the first take. <laughs> that awesome. was it. And uh, no, none of us knew where it was going. That's Not, great. I love that. It was, and it was fantastic. Every, still, still, when I hear that that version, it's one of my favorite versions. Dude, I love it too. I, I, I mean, I know you did it on your '98 with a little help from my friends. That's 14 minutes of goodness, and then you do it again <laughs> in 2003. It's perfect. Uh, we know that we will be respectful of your time because we're right at our at our cutoff. Uh, do you mind if we ask you one more question? Um, sure. And then we'll we'll call it a day with you. You've been great. We got to have you back on so we can ask you about taping of live shows, your favorite Allman Brothers songs, all kinds of two of a kind working on a full house. Yeah, come on. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but that, we'll save that for round two. So you're on. All right, you got it. You're on tour with either uh, Government Mule with the Allman Brothers, your solo stuff, whatever. You go into a gas station. What is your gas station snack food of choice? And while you're thinking of it, I'll tell you mine. I get a Three Musketeers bar. When I was growing up, my mom would say you could have any candy bar you want, and that's the most ounces i get a, a three musketeers bar what is your gas station snack food of choice <laughs> well i've learned through the years that i i can't give in to those temptations <laughs> uh you know in the old days it would just be a straight up hershey bar okay uh, like the the big block you know okay but but i i i i gotta keep myself from giving in to that sort of thing these days but the uh, it's uh 
I was and am a, a chocoholic. So. Okay. okay. Well, there you go. There we go. <laughs> well, good job using the restraint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Warren, thanks so much. We really hope you've had a good time. Yeah. This has been so exciting for us. and we Absolutely. So I enjoyed it. We'll do round two. Absolutely. That'll be great. We'll, we'll put it down. All right. <laughs> thanks, man. All the best. Have a good one. Thank, thank you, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is the Great Song Podcast. And that was the legend, Warren Haynes. On the Great Song Podcast, Man. episode 200, it's a party. Uh, actually, it's we're just recording this like any other episode. There's not any particular party vibe, but uh, thank you guys for being with us for 200 episodes. And uh, I should have brought some hats, some streamers. Dang, man. Some of those little things. <laughs> An air horn, yeah. or you mean like the little the, that's the, the little that's things that, you blow? Yeah, that was better. Yeah, yeah. we should have done it. That's um, kind of how they all sound. Yeah, that's a good. little bit. But also, a party horn would have been, uh, you know, yeah, have been appropriate. We didn't think ahead any of this. We're we're recording this in the middle of a day where we're trying to record like ten episodes. We're doing a bunch <laughs> so and like, two interviews, just yeah. throwing it all in. So you know, whatever. Uh, but yeah. Episode 200, great time with Warren Haynes. Thank you guys so much for listening, wherever you're listening from. Uh, say hey to us online. Let us know where you're listening from. We love to find out that like people from Australia, Germany, Japan, China, like we literally have people all over the world who are regular listeners of the show, and that is a humbling thing. Uh, we thank you so much for taking time out of your busy life to um, you know to be a part of what we're doing here. So thank you guys so much. We'll be back next week with Rivalry Week. It's time to fight. Until then. I'm Rob. I am JP. Go listen to some music.